Wilson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top, Subic's great grab. Across the ground, bam, in comes Donny Wurzlow. Got it out to a oh. kick, kick smothered, check, Hunter, who would have thought the sequel would be just as good as the original. Kicks inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a player. Shank needs to be in perfect the the premiers of 1992. The 1994 premiers. Premiers. The 2018 AFL Premiership team. The West Coast Eagles. Western Derby. I'm your host, Honey Badger 35 and joining me this week is Miguel Sanchez. Miguel, a little bye week for the uh, Eagles on the weekend. Didn't get a game in, unfortunately. So what'd you do with your time off, mate? <laughs> uh, spent three hours talking to myself on the couch. Yeah, not sure who else was listening, especially by the end of it. Um, <laughs> not the best time, was it? Very dismal stuff. Thank you very much to everybody who did join us for the live call of the Eagles-Geelong game, which we unfortunately will get on to. But uh, yeah, Miguel and myself, plus this next man, Keys. Thank you very much for joining us on the call, Keys. How did you enjoy uh, that two, three, four hours of your weekend? Oh, the call, that was an outstanding decision to do that, wasn't it? Yeah, that's three hours I won't get back, unfortunately. Yeah, a bit of a shocker, but nonetheless, hopefully the uh, appeal of the actual homegrown sort of fan commentary, the bias commentary is still there. So thank you very much to everybody who joined us in, uh, in listening to that one and following along. We're sorry the game was an absolute shit show. And hopefully next time we do it, the result will be a lot better. But nonetheless, we hope you enjoyed the call. Gents, we played Geelong. We didn't have a bye week, although the effort was similar to that of a bye week. We played Geelong. We have to rip the Band-Aid off. Let's talk about the game right now. West Coast Eagles, 5 goals, 9-39, were defeated by Geelong, 21-10, 136. A good first quarter. The Eagles led three goals to one. And after that, gents, everything pretty much went south. The Cats kicked 13 unanswered goals and not a lot of positives. In fact, a lot of negatives and plenty of three-word reviews as well. We got probably more this week than we can get through, unfortunately. So I'll race through a couple here. We had weak as piss. Glad that's over. Stick fork in. Midfield needs refresh. Lack of leadership. Midfield no show. Load of shit. Social distancing worked. Disgraceful. Soft centre exposed, gutless eagles gutless, no words applicable, lost for words, hard to watch. Miguel, does that pretty succinctly sum up what you thought of Saturday's effort? Yeah, pretty much. Um, how'd they manage to get disgraceful into three words? I'm they not sure. put um, space in. It was disgraceful. Okay. It was, I thought it was, it was pretty creative. Okay, I'm not sure about the effort, about the game either. Yeah, that was horrible, <laughs> wasn't it? Um, I mean, it was just weird. No, used to seeing momentum swings in a game now uh, with the the 6-6-6 rules it seems hard to stop momentum and at different times different teams will get on top but that was just after the pretty much after quarter time it was Geelong just kept gaining momentum and just kept going like a bloody avalanche and yeah there were times there where we looked like scared kids really deers and headlights so yeah not a lot to say about it you mentioned their teams going on runs and uh, I actually reached out to Sir Swamp Thing on Twitter Basically to say what is the what you know what is the worst run every team has conceded. Now of course the Eagles' thirteen goals straight is the worst run. There's there's no way around that one, unfortunately. Uh, but beyond that, it's really it doesn't make for pretty reading. As you say, every team does give up runs, but the Eagles' thirteen unanswered really really bad up there with the likes of your North Melbournes 
and uh, and your Gold Coast. And then you look at probably who you consider to be the contenders. The Dogs are giving up runs of four straight goals. Keys, that is a very different proposition to giving up 72 points without reply. Yeah, 78. Yeah, it's been it's been a long time since we put in an effort like that. You know, that's going back to you know the wind up to that 2013 season where we worst folded, basically giving up the ghost, and you know the team went along with him, and we just didn't look interested. I saw that tweet from Sir Swamp Thing too. The worst thing about that list is 15 other clubs have conceded runs of like seven goals less, which means the eight goals against St Kilda would still have put us third on that list. Then we've gone and coughed up 13 against Geelong. So it's a looking at the season going forward, that inability to stop sides getting a run on has to be a concern. I'm glad you brought up looking forward there, Keys, because we had a little bit of a chat before we started the call here. And uh, I think it's a chat most Eagles fans have been having this week is that nobody really wants to dwell on the Geelong game. But instead, I think... What it showed was it is maybe time for a discussion about the big picture and about where the Eagles are at as a contender, where we are in this in this fabled premiership window, if that's a theory you subscribe to. Basically, the first thing I wanted to look at was what is the biggest loss that a premiership team has had? Because you know that premiership teams don't go undefeated. You're going to drop a few games here and there. But in terms of biggest loss for a premiership team, now the Eagles lost that game by 97 on the weekend. If we were to go on and win the flag, that would be right up there because Carlton in 1945 lost by 100. 1949, Essendon lost to Geelong by 95. So we would be the second highest margin for a loss if we did end up going on and winning the flag. Very different ball game, Miguel, in the 40s. If you're wanting to look at more recent numbers, you've got 2004, Port lost by 92 in the year that they won the flag. Richmond had a 76-point loss, a 64-point loss as well in 2017. They had a 67-point loss in 2019 as well. So, Miguel, we've seen that Premier's have been able to survive one or two bad results, but very rarely are they on the scale that we saw. Does that mean that we're formally out of premiership contention now by turning in an effort like that? I don't think so. Um, look, the, the magnitude of the loss is obviously huge, but um, when you go through those those other stats, you know, teams can have an off game or a couple of off games in a season and, and still go on to win a flag. It was just that ours was extremely off. Um, yeah, look, looking at the, the fixture coming up, it's actually on paper at least, it gets relatively easy between now or probably after the Derby because I shouldn't put the Derby in as an easy game. Um, but after then, there's uh, we've got, I think, five games against teams that are the only team above us on the ladder that we face is Adelaide and they're nine and we get them here, I think. And, yeah, we've got GWS, we've got Carlton over there, we've got Hawthorne over there. So we've, we've got a lot of winnable games. So, yeah, look, even though we're, we're three and three, I think... Uh, the start of the season, looking at the fixture, most people would have taken three and three at this point. Certainly what my aim was, it's just that the two of the three losses have been in a really concerning manner. And also now the percentages uh, has, has taken a hit as well. But yeah, look, I don't think it's season over. Win the Derby, win even three of those next five games, even if we drop two of them, which should really be the worst case scenario. Then we're 7-5, we get to the bye, we get Shuey back after the bye, we get Ryan back after the bye, we possibly get Yo back after the bye, who knows. Uh, and then yeah, maybe regroup and uh, set our sights on getting some momentum in the second half of the season and get through to a top four finish. So, yeah, look, I don't think it's season over yet, but this is a, a must-win derby and a, a must-win few weeks. I think there's two sort of branching discussions you've had we can have based off what you've just said there, Miguel, because... Number one is, is season over if we don't get top four? 
History says yes. Everything points to yes. And recently, obviously, we've seen the Eagles fall frustratingly short of top four, you know, missing it by percentage and then bowing out in one way or another, not making it onto a prelim or a grand final, anything like that. So, Keys, in your mind, is the season over if we don't make top four, knowing full well that certainly come finals time, we should have something closer to a full-strength lineup than we certainly have right now? Yeah, look, as you said, I mean, history shows if we're not making top four, we're not getting past the semi-final. We've never done it before. So you probably say if we don't make top four, that's it as far as a, a, a premiership hope goes. That said, this year could be a little different in that you know, we we hopefully might be able to get some momentum at the back end of the year with the likes of Shuey and Yo and Ryan coming back into the side and very late Rioli possibly. It's a little bit different. So, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily rule out us making it from outside top four, but it's going to be really hard because we'd need to be winning three games on the road for that to happen. The other thing is, depending on how the rest of the season shakes out, there could be a couple of you know, sides like Melbourne with questionable finals records making top four. Or, you know, we, we actually play pretty well at Adelaide Oval. So if we've got a away game against Port in the final, we could win it after the siren. <laughs> Done. Write it in, chalk it up. Uh, For me, top four is a must to progress to a grand final. Top four is essential for finals, for a deep finals berth in Eagles history. So basically with that, Miguel, you touched on the upcoming fixture. The Eagles need to just tick them all off. And whether it's pretty, whether it's ugly, whether it's not, we're in survival mode. Survive until you get your real stars back, your all-Australian guys back. And maybe you can build some momentum once they come in. But for now, for me, we just need to be ticking off the wins. One way or the other, because we saw last year the Eagles shocking at the start of the hub, scraped a few wins together to get out of the hub, and then went on a big run. Now, granted, they were all in Perth, but we've seen the Eagles under Adam Simpson able to string together a lot of wins. We're flying in and flying out this time. It's all a little bit different, but you look at who we're playing. You know, your Freo, Hawks, Adelaide. Uh, I think you mentioned in there, Miguel, we've got Essendon coming up. We've got GWS coming up, potentially Carlton as well. So there's a lot of, of, of what has been fixtured. We've got a lot of seven-day breaks, a lot of teams that are very winnable, and quite frankly, Miguel, teams that if you can't beat, you're pretty much putting a line through contender status anyway. Yeah, exactly. And the the games we've got at home, I mean, we should be aiming to win every game at home. Um, we've got Adelaide and Carlton's the other one, I think. Essendon. Essendon, sorry. So we should win those. Uh, the away games, Hawthorne aren't travelling too well at the moment, um, albeit they've been a bit of a bogey side for us at the MCG. Giants have improved a bit, but yeah, we should be looking to beat them. Uh, and Carlton was the other one, yeah, again, not travelling too well. So yeah, we should be certainly going in favourites, I would have thought, in all of those games. And we can probably afford to drop one, maybe two, but um, yeah, we can't afford to just, um, if we do end up on the wrong side of the ledger in one of those games, we can't afford to have another sort of percentage busting huge loss. And yeah, the um, the main thing to take away from me from that Geelong game was just the how shit scared we got and um, how into our shells we went when it all started to go wrong. And I know we had um, we'd lost a lot of our leaders, and I think Nat Nui was the only member of the leadership group um, out there after McGovern went down. But we had a lot of senior players out there. We had Gaff, we had Darling, we had Shep, we had Redden, had Cripps. Someone just needed to stand up and say, you know all right, we might not lose this game. Well, sorry, we might lose this game, but we're not going to be embarrassed and humiliated. And 
yeah, it didn't look like anyone did that. And uh, we were embarrassed and humiliated. I know the, the team, uh, you heard Schofield and Alan on their podcast uh, talk a lot about resilience and mindfulness and the work that uh, Nikoski did in that area um, back in 2018, being a big part of that flag. And I just, I don't know what's happened with that. I don't know whether he needs to give them all, all the refresher or if Nikoski needs a refresher on it. But really this year and probably since that flag, the resilience uh, or, or lack thereof has been a big issue for us. Yeah, Nikoski probably light a candle or burn some sage, something like that. Yeah. Just get all those negative spirits out of the place. Yeah, get into the downward dog or something. <laughs> That's exactly right. G'day, Nico, if you're listening. Keys, that brings me to an interesting point. It's one that Miguel's touched on there. We've all acknowledged that there are players to come back, high-level players too, some of the best. You've got captains, all Australians, all of that stuff. This we know. Is the problem, though, that the mentality is, is the whole way through the group sort of thing? Nobody's expecting this version of the Eagles to compete for a flag, I wouldn't have thought. You know, nobody's expecting the Jermaine Jones, Zach Langdon, Braden Ainsworth led, if you will. You know, these guys are, unfortunately, at the moment, being asked to carry quite a lot of the burden. No one's expecting that version of West Coast to win a flag. The best version of West Coast, the healthy version, everybody's up and running, everybody's flying. Well, they'll all still have the same stuff going on between the ears. Just because Shuey's out there, I can't expect everybody else is going to get 50% you know, more resilient, better you know, mentally, all this sort of business. So is this a genuine long-term concern for you that the Eagles have seemingly lost the resilience or it's certainly diminished somewhat, even though I know we've got a few leaders out, but... I mean, it's on the rest of the group at some point to stand up. Yeah, there's there's a couple of things, specifically the game. I mean, part of what concerned me was not just the lack of fight from the players on the field, but the shots of Simpson in the coach's box throughout the game. I mean, he looks perplexed, and he did look like he had a lot of answers. And even in his press conference after the game, he said, oh, you know, the players' eyes glazed over, and it's our job to try and get them back in the game, and we just couldn't. And I... You know, there didn't seem to be a lot of of answers from the coaching group either. And I mean, from just as an outsider watching the game, it didn't appear as if, I mean, it would have been moving the deck chairs around on the Titanic the way the game was going, but there didn't seem to be any positional moves that he tried to, to sort of try and work out some things differently. I mean, McGovern left a short down back, which meant, you know, we had Shepard playing on Cameron. He was undersized and... Things weren't working and we weren't getting the ball down in the forward line. So I don't know why we didn't move Allen back, for example. He wasn't he wasn't having an impact up forward. He, he, he could have maybe been another body down back, a bit of height. So there was, there was that. From a broader point of view, as much as the Geelong game, you know, it's, it's been unusual that we've been built for three quarters quite like that. But Simpson can't pretend that those sort of lapses haven't been a part of the last two and a half seasons almost. Beyond go back to the beginning of 2019 and, you know, we had a good start against Brisbane and then I think they clocked something like 14 goals to one after quarter time. So these sort of periods where we just go missing in games has actually happened way too often. Um, and if you're going to be a contender, you, you've got to, we've got to stamp that out. I mean, the old flat track bully things sort of breathe its ugly head, which which in the media just, I don't think they understand what that means anymore. They just throw it out. But the problem is, is in particular on the road, we've had runs against us that we just simply haven't been able to arrest. You know, it's, you know, five, six, seven, eight goals. And it's it's meant that games that otherwise would have been a loss have been 
ended up being real blowouts or in a game like St Kilda, it's actually cost us four points. It, it's something we're going to eliminate. And if they don't address the underlying cause for it during this week and the, and the weeks ahead, we might not even make finals. We've got to address these lapses, particularly on the road. But we even have them at home. We've had them. There was a game 2009, I think, against Collingwood where we lost by a point after leading by 20-odd points through the third quarter. Um, we, couldn't, we just couldn't get our hands on the ball in the last quarter and they came over the top of us. We, we've got to stop that and it's pointing to the guys on the weekend that we're missing is all well and good, but we've had those lapses when we've had those guys on the park. So there's an underlying issue there and, and as much as we talk about resilience, it's not always there and it's not something you can turn around. So we know if we're behind in the game now, you don't you can't look at it and go, we know we're going to come back from this. You, you, if you watch Richmond play, if Richmond fall behind in a game, you know they'll come back again. They might not win it, but they're not just going to walk and just say, or, or it happens very, very, it might happen once or twice in the season. With us, you don't know. And when we're in front, I think if you're playing us now and you're another side, and if you fall five goals behind us, you can go in to a huddle and go, look, if we push, they can fold. So it's a concern. Uh, and I don't know exactly how they'll address it, but they're they, they going to have to find a way. Last one on the big picture chat, I suppose. And, and, and this is uh, from a great question from Rod on Twitter. So thank you very much for sending this one through. He wrote, Gents, does Darling, does Jack Darling sum up the West Coast Eagles 2014 to 2021 more than any other player? Capable of being the best in the comp, but only for a quarter or a half, lacks the killer instinct to kick more than six or so in a game? when it's there for the taking. Love the bloke, but emblematic in my opinion. Miguel, it's not really something I'd considered as such, you know, what player sums up the team best and this sort of thing, but there's some fair parallels there because we saw Jack Darling be the best player in footy for large stretches of 2018. Equally, the Eagles were the best club during that run, um, but also he's had some prominent issues or quiet spells, things that other clubs do go through, but it's certainly a bit of a tag that's followed him around throughout his career. Is that a fair comparison in your mind? Yeah, it's a great observation. And yeah, my mind went like yours to that period in 2018 where he was he was putting four quarters together and he was yeah, probably the most dominant player in the league in the first half of that year. There was genuine Brownlow talk as well. I mean, yeah. at 360, it's all a little bit of paper talk, sensationalist, whatever. But I distinctly remember an episode of 360 where they sat down and went, uh, I think a key forward's going to win the Brownlow this year. I should go back and look at how he actually went in the votes in that period. But he, um, uh, yeah, we were... 10-0 in that period and yeah apart from that he does sort of he has these quarters where he's fantastic um, but then he'll just go missing for the rest of the game it, it really is emblematic of us um, so yeah whoever that was great observation uh, I don't know what the answer to it is he's he's in his 11th season now we sort of we know what Jack Darling is and yeah I don't know how we get back to that 2018 Jack Darling because pretty much the rest of his career that's what we've seen he, he bobs up and you can usually rely on him for at least a couple of goals a game. But, yeah, he uh, he's not going to tear a whole game apart. He hasn't done that for a long time. He has I mean, the criticism of him for not kicking more than six in the game is a bit harsh because uh, there's a lot of key forwards out there who'd love to kick six in the game. And um, I think it was more a point about the Eagles not burying clubs and putting the percentage up. I think that was perhaps the parallel that was getting drawn. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, yeah, it's a good observation as well. But um, yeah, I don't know what we do because you know, Jack Darling's probably in the last few years of his career and um, he's probably not going to change at this point. Keys, I'll put you on the spot. 
let's assume that this is completely correct and Jack Darling is the player that is most emblematic, you know, most embodies the West Coast Eagles. Is there a player you'd like to see in a year's time we can look back and say, no, this player, this is who the Eagles are now? Um, Brad Shepard. Yeah, I was going to say exactly that, Shepard. I mean, he had a, a stinker on the weekend as well. But when we were talking about his 200th game, two or three weeks ago or whatever it was, yeah, I made the comment that how really, really consistent he is. The, the gap between his best and worst is generally pretty small. His, his best is pretty damn good. Um, his best is all Australian quality. At his worst, you don't see very often. I think that's you don't see him give in. You very rarely see him get beaten. A professional level in everything he does. We talked about then. You know, he's played something like 140 of 142 games. So, if if you wanted one player to epitomise this, I'd I'd say Shep. Moving on with heroes and villains for the week. We had a lot of villains sent in, predictably, and a lot of them on a similar theme. Uh, West Coast's effort, midfield going missing, all of this sort of stuff. But, gents, we'll start negative. We'll try and perhaps steer it away from negativity about the Eagles, though, just for the sake of it. We'll start with villains, and I'm genuinely hopeful, Miguel, that your villain is not West Coast Eagles related, but fire away nonetheless. <laughs> uh, I had a few. Um, first one's kind of West Coast related, and it's uh, the three of us for choosing oh, that Jesus. week to debut the uh, <laughs> to debut the live commentary call for 2021. Obviously, there was some bad juju attached to that. Unfortunate. Um, heroes for anyone who listened to it for the full four quarters. Well, Absolutely. I was also going to nominate us for heroes for getting to the end of it. So <laughs> I like our chances um, this week. I might vote for yeah. us. Anyway, keep going. Heroes was difficult to do. Um, other villains, uh, I nominated Eddie Maguire earlier in the year, but geez, he's, he's popped up his head again. And uh, not only is he making me side with David Kosh, he's now making me side with Kane Corns. So bloody hell. Um, just the AFL as well. There's a, just on that bloody clash jumper topic, there's a few things that the AFL does really, really badly um, for a big, successful league, and yeah, the, the playing strips is definitely one of them. Um, you know, first, we had the not first, just recently, we had the, the two sides in the massive blockbuster marquee Anzac Day clash, both playing in predominantly black uniforms, and uh, now we've got uh, one side who wears black and white, preventing other sides from wearing any combination of black and white, even when they're not playing each other. It's not something you see in other leagues. You know, you don't see Manchester United telling other EPL clubs they can't wear red. You don't see the Boston Celtics telling NBA clubs they they can't wear green and white. It just makes us makes the whole sport look amateurish. And I'll just give a quick nomination as well to Mark McGowan uh, for villain. <laughs> I, I know he's kept COVID out of WA and he's kept us all alive. But at what cost, great. Miguel? Yeah, but seriously, just announce what's happening with crowds this week will you it's let me go to the derby on thursday and we don't know where are your pri- where's his priorities that's what i want to know and i want well, to know about whether i can go to my footy game he's nominally a uh, a purple isn't he i know he's doesn't probably doesn't give a shit about footy i think he's from new south wales but yeah doesn't he pretend that he's a freo fan i think so just because they're sort of located closer to his electorate i don't think he gives a shit this goes all the way to the top uh i have a few for the afl as well you've touched on a lot of them the jumper clash in anzac day was shocking the prison bars debacle is disgraceful and keys we have a new state of the game task force i'm not sure if you saw this there's nine people on it eight of them are from victoria and one of them is loosely affiliated with the adelaide crows a nice fair and balanced uh Little breakdown there. Your villain's keys. Yeah, well, let's face it. You know, football doesn't happen outside Victoria anyway, so it makes sense. 
that you worry about the state of the game and then you have Victorians on it. So, yeah, what's the rest of the country got to do? We don't, we're just there to um, prop them up. Pay the bills. So they don't fold. Yeah, villains, I will I will jump in on the um, the prison bars debate from a slight... I'm actually tired of the whole debate. I think Collingwood, particularly with Eddie, are being a bunch of twits about it. But I'm also... You know, Port, you know what? You came into the comp and you were told that you couldn't wear them at some point in time. Just fuck off. I saw a jumper design today, which was essentially the exact prison bar jumper, except the white was teal. And it's something that you look at and you just go, why didn't they do that 25 years ago when they came into the comp? It's as simple and effective a solution to a problem they've been rabbiting on about basically since they started. It's your prison bar jumpers. All it is has got teal where there's white. And especially yeah. when the um, the prison, we call them prison bars, it's actually supposed to represent a jetty off Port Adelaide somewhere. And so if you're <laughs> looking down right? at a jetty, yeah, if you're looking down at a jetty, there's blue in the slats. So yeah. That's pretty That's good. Pretty so, doesn't it? so, you know, that could solve it. If they, want, if they really wanted to solve it, they could solve it. And David Cock is as big a cock as Eddie, and I'm sick of the whole thing taking up. You know, where there's enough issues with the game that we should be worried about. It's valuable airtime that AFL 360 could be devoting to analysing Carlton and Collingwood and Essendon. And telling us, will Dustin Martin be able to get into New Zealand or not? I have always wondered why they didn't go the Teal Prison bars, but ultimately I think it, the issue at the moment seems to be isolated to Port. Ideally, I just think we should live in a world where other clubs can't dictate what opponents wear, you know? Unless it clashes with you on the day, who gives a shit? And if... North Melbourne want to start rolling up in royal blue with gold wings, like more power to them. I don't know why they would and everybody would laugh at them. But if if they want to, I don't think it's the Eagles' job to stand in the way. I think it's everybody else's job to tell them they look ridiculous. But anyway, good luck to them. Uh, so the prison bars debacle seems to be unanimous. At least some facet of it has been nominated by all three of us. So I reckon the prison bar discussion and particularly with great note to Eddie Maguire, probably villain of the week, uh, Miguel, it's been a lean week for heroes. Have you managed to stump up with anything here? Uh, apart from nominating us for getting to the end of the commentary, um, <laughs> Shannon Shannon Hearn for timing his uh, timing his injury just so he could get back and break Cox's record in a home derby. Some solid forward planning. So yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about Hearn, but um, yeah, he's my other nomination. Yeah, we'll talk about him very shortly. He was my nomination as well. As I said, lean week on the heroes front. Keys, anything else for us there? I've got the fake. Footy Twitter account is attributed some comments to Eddie Maguire. We shouldn't have to share the G, so they should pack up and leave. De facto, Collingwood President Eddie Maguire has told rival clubs Melbourne, Richmond, Carlton, Essen, and Hawthorne to find a new home ground after his club is adamant the MCG belongs to them. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good, the uh, fake footy. They used to have a very similar logo to the Fox footy one, and I'm sure someone from Fox... They still do. They still do, and there's times where you actually have to double check to make sure even when it's a fox footy one you have to make sure it's not the fake footy one it used to be even closer I used to be, yeah i reckon yeah, fox legal tapped him yeah, on the shoulder because yeah. it, it used to be the same just with a very 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 minor difference and it, it, every tweet would get me every single one would get me so yeah fake footy shannon hearn both equal in our estimations this week uh keys do you want to break the tie and give it to bunger or are we all loading up and giving oh, it to fake footy yeah, it's not uh not every day one of our guys breaks the game's record, so yeah, bunger for the hero of the week. And we'll get to the game, but 
Jeez, I hope the guys can actually um, give the guy a proper bloody effort in that game and honour him accordingly. And he wins another Glendenny medal. So piggybacking off the hero of the week, Shannon Hearn, of course, set to break Dean Cox's record. He becomes West Coast's new games record holder. Now, gents, this is all, of course, assuming he plays, but he's done the media today and he said he's going to play. So fingers crossed for no late surprises. A little bit of a look back at his career. Pick 13 in 2005. He is one of the five All-Australian and Premiership winning players, so a combo of both. One of five from that draft alongside Josh Kennedy, Scott Pendlebury, and Dale Thomas and Grant Birchall. So g'day to all of those guys as well. Uh, Miguel, some fun history here tracing through the draft pick because we got that pick 13 for Daniel McConnell, who'd played two games for the Eagles and he managed four games for North. So we sent Daniel McConnell and pick 18 to North for 13 and 29. It became Hearn and McKinley. And uh, basically North got absolutely nothing out of the deal. They then traded the pick onto the Hawks, who got Max Bailey, 43 games from him. But uh, basically looking back at the 2005 draft, Miguel, we've absolutely nailed that one. Yeah, and from memory, I think Hearn slipped a bit and it wasn't expected to get out of the top 10. So we were pretty lucky to get him. And um, and yeah, that's uh, that's come up real aces for us. and. I'm sure he would have had uh, a lot of opportunities. I'm sure both South Australian clubs would have been knocking at his door to, to come home over that period. But, yeah, good on him for staying. Um, yeah, premiership captain, which there's only two other guys in the club's history can say that. And, yeah, now games record holder as well. He's just gone. He's just such a, a no-nonsense player. Like we were saying about Shep, you know, you sort of just – you can rely on him to just come in and do a job and, and just go about it with no fuss and – uh, rely on that week to week um, when his calf allows him. So, yeah, um, fantastic to see him um, get this record. It's well-deserved, and, yeah, fingers crossed that he can go on to be our, our first 300-gamer uh, a little later in the season. Keys, one of the most remarkable things about Shannon Hearn is the fact that he's only gotten better as he's gone on, seemingly, because he's made his first All-Australian side in his 13th and 14th season on the list, two times All-Australian. He should have been an All-Australian captain, but he has been named AFLPA Best Captain in 2019. Of course, Premiership captain, three times Glendening Allen medalist. And uh, what about this? Some people say the best ability is availability when you draft somebody. He has played 156 of Adam Simpson's 166 games by my count. So despite a couple of little things starting to creep in at the back end, he's always available, always reliable, and, and he's really started to rack up the accolades at the back end of his career as well. Yeah, I mean, probably the last three or four years has probably been the best foot he's played. I mean, and he had been pretty good up till then. Um, but yeah, there's not many players that can say they've played their best footy after turning 30, but he can. Um, just a really unassuming guy, just goes about his business. He's no no fuss. Apparently, he's obviously was captain, so he's got to be well-liked and respected around the club. And as Mig said, I mean, I'm sure the Adelaide clubs would have been knocking on his door from time to time, and you never—I can't ever remember there being any talk of him shifting. Yeah, you know, with interstate players, it's almost a a regular occurrence. So you know, so and so is out of contract, and I can't remember a a single instance where there's been any question over Shannon Hearn being out of the contract, and he might go somewhere. You know, there's a tweet from the club from his press conference today these you know he he said there was a wise brought up on the farm my parents taught me that if you commit to do something you do it to the best of your abilities and you see it all the way through this is a great club and wa is a fantastic place 
So, you know, he's got here, he's set those tree trunks, he's got for legs down and he hasn't shifted. So, yeah, let's hope he plays 300 and let's hope that maybe he can um, he can do what David Bundy's been doing at Fremantle and just keep on going like uh, Benjamin Button. Well, that brings us nicely to the Western Derby this Sunday, 2.40pm at Optus, West Coast versus Fremantle. Miguel, the Eagles riding a 10-game derby streak. It's the most ever. We've really, really enjoyed our Western Derbies of late. Some nail-biters, some have been real thumpings, but very rarely have two teams been coming into the game with sort of so much pressure. Freo trending up, the Eagles, it would appear to be trending down or certainly really wanting to correct things after last week. What are you expecting from this derby? And also, when it comes time to name the team, what are you expecting the ins and outs to be? Um, yeah, it's going to be that, that 10-game winning streak of ours is going to be really uh, under threat, looking at the odds, and we're fairly solid favourites, which um, surprised me. I think it's a real 50-50 game. Uh, changes, geez, I could go on for about half an hour about the changes. Um, it's really difficult to try and put them together. First things first, I guess, um, Gov needs to be replaced. But I don't think it's as simple as just saying, well, Heard comes into the back line and Gov goes out. I think uh, the Dockers' tall forwards are going to be too much trouble for that, uh, asking players to sort of to punch above their weight. A bit of a left-field option could have been, um, say, Kennedy comes into the forward line, pushes Allen out, Allen goes back, plays in a half-back to replace McGovern, which is possible, I suppose. It solves some problems, but Allen, I think, is playing too well as a forward at the moment to, to shift him. And also, he hasn't got a lot of experience playing defence, so to send him back there and probably have him playing on lob would be tough. So I think that basically leaves us with uh, Harry Edwards coming in to play almost his first game. He's, he's played, I think, a quarter and a bit before he got knocked out. So, yeah, I've got Edwards coming in for Gov, um, and then Edwards lines up on lob. Barris takes Tabiner, and Rotham takes uh, Josh Tracy. Uh, Ruck is always the vexed question. Um, I think Vardy has to play backing up Nick. Vardy wasn't actually that bad against Geelong, especially when you compare him to his teammates. If Vardy doesn't play, then Williams comes in. And I've just, as we've been talking, I've just seen a tweet suggesting that Williams might come in. Um, but one of them has to play. I don't think we can ruck Allen against uh, Darcy and Lobb, uh, particularly given that uh, Nat Nui seems to be carrying something. So then uh, if he stays in, that means we've got to find someone to go out for Kennedy. I think Waterman might be unlucky there. He was down a bit uh, against Geelong, much as I sung his praises the week before, but someone's got to go out. Uh, I, don't, I don't think we can go in with two rucks, Kennedy, Darling and Allen and Waterman. So uh, I think he's got to go. Uh, it also means someone's got to go out for Hearn. Witherden's a possibility given that they're fairly similar players, but he's been playing quite well. Duggan moving to the midfield's a possibility, but I can't really find anyone to move out of there. So it might be that Tom Cole goes out. He'd be unlucky, but someone will be unlucky. Midfield, as much as it was down, um, it's sort of hard to find someone to drop there. There's there's no one really to come in uh, unless it's Duggan. Um, so the only way you'd create a space there would be uh, to drop one of the youngsters like O'Neill and Brander and... I'm not a fan of that. I think they were all right. I think we persist with them. And otherwise, you, yeah, you're, you're dropping a Redden or I had a lengthy discussion in one of the threads about why we should be dropping Gaff, should or shouldn't be dropping Gaff. I don't think that'll happen somehow. So, uh, yeah, and the other one coming in is uh, is Petrocelli, who we're assuming is fit as well. And uh, given his last start, he kicked four goals and was our best player. He probably comes straight back in. 
uh, and I'd be dropping Langdon for him. I, I think we've given Langdon enough chances this year and he still hasn't really shown anything at all. Jones hasn't shown much either, but he did have that one game and uh, he's only just come back into the side and I don't like dropping players after one week. Uh, so that was four changes. Three of them are um, injured players coming back in and the fourth is replacing uh, McGovern with another key defender. So as much as we'd like to really swing the axe after that terrible loss, I don't know that there's much more um, to come in unless you just start blooding kids for the sake of it. So quickly to power through the Eagles injury list, and it's actually all right reading, all things considered. Now, the issue is the quality of the players on this list, but you've got a lot of players as a test. Archie is a test. Now, you'd expect him to go and play Waffle or some sort of reserves, depending on what happens with the Waffle this week. Cripps is a test. He's going to get up. Kennedy is a test. You'd expect him to get up. Hearn's all but locked in as a test, as is Petrocelli. Uh, but then you look at the names. McGovern, two to three weeks. Liam Ryan, three to four. Now, that's actually come down a bit, so that's potentially good news there on the Liam Ryan front. Shuey, Venables, and Yo are all still TBC. So the injury list is starting to look a little bit lighter. Uh, I still wish we could get some of the All-Australians back, but we'll wait and see on that. Keys for myself, I've got Hearn for McGovern. I've got Kennedy for Vardy. But this Williams news does throw a spanner in the works because it looks like Williams is likely to play, according to the West Australians. So I'll change it all a bit on the fly and go Hearn for Gov, Williams for Vardy, Petch for Langdon I've got, and Edwards I had coming in for one of Ainsworth or Jones and mix the sub around a bit. That, of course, then leaves us without Kennedy. So I guess ultimately it would have to be Kennedy for Waterman, which is now putting me at five changes. Uh, in an ideal world for me, I'd rather just go in with Edwards and have him ruck when he's not doing some work down back. Just Nick Nat and Edwards rather than two designated ruckmen. But let's assume that this Williams mail is correct, Keys. How does that impact your changes? Uh, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't really even contemplated Williams coming into the side. He's had two relatively indifferent waffle games, I think. Didn't play last weekend because no one did. I don't know. He's got much of a body of work to, to come in. I mean, it's not, not as if Fadi's put up anything particularly special to keep him out, but that throws me a little bit. I was thinking Edwards coming in for Vardy, and then that meaning that Edwards and Allen could split the backup ruck to Nick. Edwards still gives us a bit of cover down back with height, with McGovern coming out, and Hearn for McGovern, and then Kennedy perhaps for Waterman, and, and then Petch for Langdon. So... Yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't. I hadn't really thought Williams. Um, so you, Williams for Vardy, Edwards for McGovern, Hearn for somebody, <laughs> and, and and Kennedy for yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think I'm sometimes a bit of a fan for the for a side that runs out and gets belted to given the opportunity to redeem themselves as a collective. So I, I, I'm just I really don't quite know where we'll go. I mean, we've got. You've got to find space for Hearn and Kennedy. So yeah, there's that. So at least one other person from McGovern's got to come out. But it'll be interesting to see on Saturday when the teams come out, which is one of the other changes that I feel have made that I completely hate the move away from announcing teams in a block on Thursday night has f***ed one of the great traditions of footy, unfortunately. So we'll see you on Saturday when the guys run out for the waffle as to who's playing so we can make a guess as to who's going to be in the senior side. So it was a bit of a muddle, but yeah, throw the names up and see where they land. 
Now, of course, the Derby, a massive game in the WA football calendar, and, and this one is quite pivotal in that the Eagles can kick on with the record. It's Shannon Hearn's record-breaking day as well, but also it would really be panic stations. If the Dockers got a win here, Miguel, you'd go from, all right, the Eagles are 3-3, three and three, not ideal, but maybe we can make something of it, to suddenly we're 3-4, and four, the power balance has shifted in WA, we need to fold the club, everything's going horrendously wrong. Now, You've got two sides here in the Eagles and the Dockers, quite tall outfits. We usually worry about the Eagles going in too tall, but Frio have a tall forward line that uh, certainly on paper, you know, the height will stretch you. Tabana, for all the comedy that he provides, and, and don't get me wrong, he provides a shitload of comedy, he can mark a ball, and even occasionally he kicks it as well. You've got Lobb there. You know, they've got some talent. They've got this, this small midfield brigade coming... Oh, sorry, this young midfield brigade coming through and a couple of creative players. Fife's always... Good to go for a derby, you know. When he when he gets up for him, he really gets up for him. So, what are you expecting to see? Let's start forward versus back. What are you expecting to see from the Fremantle defence from the West Coast forward line? Well, that's probably the only area where, on paper, we've got a bit of an advantage. I think, um, given that their key defenders are falling like flies at the moment, the way that our uh, midfielders and small forwards are. There's news today that uh, Luke Ryan, who isn't that tall, but plays tall. He's in doubt. Um, Cox injured last week and is very much in doubt. So that is that's an area where um, we can possibly get some over it, you know, get you know, something over them. Um, but we've got to get the supply in there, and that's been our issue a lot of this season. We're not getting, I think we're second last or something in inside fifties. We're not winning the ball at the contest. Um, sorry, as much as you wanted me to talk about forwards, I'm going to move into the middle now. No, go um, for it. And we're actually yeah. last in inside 50s, believe it or not. Oh, we're behind North Melbourne. Aren't we? we are. Jesus. We're a long way down in uh, in contested possessions um, and clearances. Uh, they're a good clearance side and yeah, a, a really good uh, contested possession side as well. Um, the little bit of homework I did before this. Uh, clearances, the Dockers are plus 30. We're minus 6. Even after the Geelong game, we're only minus six. That's not bad. Uh, contested possessions, they're plus 69. Nice. I was waiting for – I just paused <laughs> to make sure someone said nice. Very nice. Um, they're plus 69. Uh, we're minus 41. That's a huge difference. So, um, yeah, those numbers in the middle don't bode well. But um, having said that, it's – I don't know. My non-expert opinion is that it's really just an effort thing, isn't it? See ball, get ball. We've, we've just – we've got enough specialist players in there. We've got Kelly, Redden, Sheed in the middle, Nat Nui. Um, we shouldn't be losing clearances by that much and we shouldn't be getting smashed in contested possessions like that. We've just got to get Nico to yeah, tell us how to be resilient again and, and find our mojo somehow. So let's talk about the clearances then, Keys, because the ruck battle looms large. You've got Nat Nui, probably Williams by the look of it, or maybe some combination of Allen or Edwards, maybe even Vardy, something in there, but we'll have Nick Nat. Sean Darcy, he uh, he doesn't know how to operate a microphone, evidently, as we saw on the news the other night, but decent ruckman in nice form and, and can certainly sneak forward and kick a goal. Once comes off the palms to those guys, though, you've got a really good clearance team in Freo. They hold their opponents to the fewest clearances per game in football, which is a pretty good string to their bow there. And the Eagles midfield, well, seemingly, there's never been a better time to fill your boots up against the Eagles midfield, so... How do they recover after a really, really shocking afternoon in Geelong? Yeah, uh, it's just intent. I mean, we saw against Port, who are the, probably the best contested possession side in the in the comp. We came out in the first half against them and blew them away in that area of the game. Albeit that we did have Shuey in that game that made, you saw how much difference he made. But we just got to go in that, with that sort of intent. You know, you've got Brayshaw's having a really good season. 
Mundy's having a great season. You got throw Fife in there. You know, Sarong's sort of developing into a pretty handy midfielder as well. Uh, I mean, in derbies, it's been something that Fremantle have actually been pretty good in that area for a while. But it's always been at the other ends of the ground that where we've we've touched them up. So yeah, we have a probably a clear advantage in our forward line in terms of marking power. So it it becomes intent. We're, you know, if we're switched on, we, we really should beat them. It's the first time in this uh, 10-game streak where Fremantle go into the derby with a better win-loss record. There's been a couple where we've gone in on a similar, both 3-2. But, yeah, I mean, just aside from the season in terms of finals, we don't. if we lose this, we fall two games behind Fremantle. And that's just not a position that I want to even contemplate being in. Um, the guys have just... It really is a must-win game, and the guys have got to reflect that with their effort. And if they don't, well, you know, forget about talking about finals. We're just not good enough. If we don't beat Fremantle and redeem ourselves from last week, well, then I've got real concerns for the rest of the season. We might as well dive into the tips then. Miguel, I will throw it open to you, and uh, your record's been reasonably good this year, so please try and back it up this week. Please tip appropriately. Who do you think wins the Western Derby and which eagle is going to impress us the most? Uh, I'm going to pick us, uh, not with a huge amount of uh, confidence, but, yeah, um, I'm going to go in optimistic and I'll pick us to win, uh, get our season back on track, uh, say we'll win by 17 points, and I won't go the obvious pick. I'll say uh, our acting captain, Josh Kennedy, I assume he'll be acting captain, will kick five and he'll win. Uh, a Glendinning medal, which he's got a few of them. Very nice, very nice. Josh Kennedy was, in fact, my pick, but I'll come up with something to pivot to in the next little while. Keys, buy me some time. Who wins by how much and which eagle impresses us the most? Uh, West Coast by 24, just because. I don't have any real faith that that will happen, but I actually don't know what will happen. But I'm just going to default to, to what I've done or the other pods. Best on ground, Andrew Gaff. His work rate was there against Geelong. Um, his finishing wasn't. I don't think he had a great game, but I think anyone who questions how hard he worked in that game doesn't watch footy. And hopefully we have a look at our structure and we just plonk Gaff on the ring and just say run. Forget about throwing him into centre squares or anything like that. Just put him on the outside and let him do what he does better than most when he's at his best and that's run and create space and and provide an outlet coming out of the fence. Uh, we've missed that. So, Gaff. Juice, if there's any crowd in, we still don't know whether there'll be a crowd in, but if there's any in there, then uh, Gaff will be an interesting pick for the Glendinning medal. Amazing. Sign me up. At least it's our home game. True. True enough. Yeah. No, definitely one to watch there. Well, Gaff always one to watch in the Derby for uh, for obvious reasons, but the crowd is one to watch, and uh, hopefully, yeah, I would have no issue with Gaffy taking home the medal in front of an Eagles crowd. That'd be quite a good way to spend the evening. Anyway, uh, pick for me. Now, I'm not too sure what to do here because I was the kiss of death, and then I decided to try and apply that, and it backfired against Geelong because I tipped Geelong, and they still bloody got up. So... Uh, I'm going to give it one more week of, of kiss of death business. I'm going to tip Freo and I'm going to tip him by a point because I'm not allowed to tip him by any less. I don't think that's actually a win then if I do that. Uh, nonetheless, I will try and enforce the kiss of death one more time. If it fails, I'm just off it completely and I'll, I'll tip with my head from here on in. 
Uh, so unfortunately, Frio are apparently going to win. Josh Kennedy, I liked the pick there. Uh, the Hearn one is a nice sentimental pick as well. Gaff, obviously a good call. I am going to back up with Rod from Twitter and go Jack Darling. He is going to be emblematic of the boys, hopefully on the weekend and, and impress us, stand up and really deliver. Uh, I'm not sure how that conflates to Fremantle winning, but anyway, it does apparently in, in this reality that I've constructed here. So Jack Darling to impress the Eagles fans, bounce back in a nice way against Freo. <laughs> Well, that will do it from us this week. It's been a bit of an odd week to be a West Coast Eagles fan. Obviously, we don't uh, deal with blowouts like this too often, so it's not something we've had a lot of experience at. But, Miguel, thank you very much for jumping on the show and trying to make some sense of it after all. Yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, it's been good therapy for me, apart from anything else. It talking is. It through. Share. Share your pain with the group. Uh, actually, we did touch on not knowing the COVID situation. If the game is zero capacity, that is everybody has to sit and watch it at home, I think there is a chance we might bring back a late, late, late edition of the commentary. But uh, keep your eyes posted to social media for that one. And we're still obviously very hopeful that some fans will be able to get to the derby and and we'll see what happens with that one. But nonetheless, Keys, whether you're watching it from your couch or you're watching it at the stadium, if you're watching it with us, you're watching it by yourself, we hope you enjoy your viewing of the derby and and hopefully, Keys, you enjoy it a lot more than your viewing of the Cats game. Yep. Uh, hopefully the boys fire up. Simo was firing bullets in the um, change rooms after the match, I believe. So, yeah, go Eags. Redeem yourselves. Absolutely. That's the message. Get it going. Another win on the board. Season back on track, and we'll uh, we'll kick on with a nice big run of victories. Guys, thank you very much for getting in touch, as always. I really appreciate the three-word reviews. We started to get heaps of those through as well, so keep sending them in, and we'll make sure the best ones get in on the show. Your general reviews on, on iTunes or Spotify, however you listen to this, very much appreciated. Tell a friend, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. It's all good stuff. We really, really do appreciate it. Until next week, guys, hopefully we will be recapping a big derby victory. Nonetheless, we will be back one way or the other to discuss the fallout because it's sure to be huge no matter which way it happens. But until this time next week, guys, we'll see you then. Bye for now. Bye. Oh, that was my other. That was going to be my other. My other villain's nomination was going to be um, for whoever was responsible for the club having to put out two emails saying, "Please don't harass our membership staff. We don't know anything about crowds for the game yet." What the fuck do you expect from them, honestly? <laughs> don't even know if there's any crowd. Oh, where's my tickets? Yeah, when are you going to tell us about tickets? When we fucking know. Calm down. <laughs> we do down. have some fucking dumb supporters. <laughs> oh jeez. One of them does his pod. <laughs> three of them, I think. <laughs> One out of oh, three. Try to get who it is. <laughs>